Ya Allah. Tayyip. Amadullah min shaitan al-rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala sayyidina Muhammadin. Ashrafil khalqi wa sayyidil mursalina wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجعل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا سهلا رب شرح لي صدري وسر لي أمري وأحل العقدة من لساني فقه قولي اللهم أخرجنا من ظلمات الوهم إلى نور الفهم وأكرمنا بمعرفة العلم وزين أخلاقنا بالحلم يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم فك الكرب عنا وعن كل مكروب من أمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت به عليم عافنا اللهم في أبدانا وبارك لنا في أعمالنا وأعمالنا وأرزاقنا وأهلنا وذوينا وأحبابنا اللهم اجعلنا من كل ضيق مخرجا ومن كل هم فرجا واجعلنا من بعد العسر يسرا اللهم أصلح أحوال المسلمين والمسلمات في كل مكان اللهم فك الكرب عن كل مكروب من أمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت به عليم اللهم انصر إخواننا المجاهدين في غزة وفي فلسطين اللهم انصرهم نصرا عزيزا مؤزرا اللهم انصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم عليك بمن ظلمهم وبمن طغى في البلاد فأكثر فيها الفساد اللهم صب عليهم سوط عذاب اللهم اهزم جمعهم وافسد رايهم اللهم اهزمهم وزلزلهم اللهم فرق جمعهم وردهم على اعقابهم خائبين خاسئين خزايا نادمين ولا تجعل لهم صرفا ولا نصرا اللهم لا تجعل لهم صرفا ولا نصرا اللهم لا تجعل لهم صرفا ولا نصرا اللهم أصلح أحوال المسلمين والمسلمات في كل مكان ردنا إلى دينك مردا جميلا وولي أمورنا خيارنا ولا تولي أمورنا شرارنا ولا تسلط علينا بذنوبنا من لا يخافك ولا يرحمنا اللهم اختم لنا بخير الأجمعين وألحقنا بالصالحين واجعلنا من ورثة جناتك جنات النعيم يا أرحم الراحمين آمين آمين وأخذ دعوان الحمد لله رب العالمين أما بعد زاكم الله خير for attending today uh, this is the last Friday forum in the year and um, as uh, we're gonna as Akhi Ibrahim is gonna mention in a moment we're gonna have a pause after this so this is the last Friday forum we wanted to change gears a little bit and switch gears we've been speaking a lot about Philistine um, and Gaza for the past several weeks and we'll continue to speak about that of course uh, we actually continued the discussion about it in the khutbah today uh, bringing the subject back to home um, how we need to change on a personal level, what needs to change about us, for us to be able to see change in the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what change needs to happen at a foundational level. Uh, today the topic was about selflessness. Uh, we also spoke about um, uh, carrying the concern for the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam being in a state of service of others and how that... Um, imbibing that prophetic ethos leads to so much barakah and goodness in our lives. Um, so that discussion, the roadmap for change, and the generation building that needs to happen for Al-Aqsa and Palestine to be liberated is one that's ongoing. And inshallah we'll continue with that. In this session though we wanted to make it a little bit lighter uh, for us to be able to ask questions, engage uh, in terms of... Uh, the guidance of our deen on various topics. The Q&A session is usually wide-ranging and we'll go with it wherever it takes us. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Akhi Ibrahim to start us off with the announcements and you know, set the tone for the gathering. And uh, inshallah, we'll continue right after that. just want to ask if someone could please close this door over here. Can someone please close the door? Zakum khair.
We have a party going on downstairs. Um, I don't know if it's a birthday party or whatever type of party it is, but it's very loud. for joining us. As Sheikhna mentioned, the last Friday forum for the year. Um, inshallah, these will be the last weekend of events here at ICPC Clifton for the year. We'll be picking up um, in January, the second week, inshallah, of January. And you'll see all of the information come out. Um, so with that, tonight will be the last Friday forum. On Saturday, tomorrow, we have a program here at, well, it's at ICPC Patterson, Mini Muslim Readers for ages 0 to 7, um, where they will be reading about the journey of Masjid Al-Aqsa, and you know, uh, they'll have a bookmark making activity, so some activities for kids. So if you have kids between ages of 0 to 7 or know families who do, um, there will be an event going on at ICPC Patterson between 2.30 and 4 p.m., inshallah. That'll be tomorrow. And then um, on Sunday, inshallah, we'll be having our final session of the Sira of the Meccan period. So we've been having that for a couple of months now. That was our most recent Sunday night class. Um, that'll end, inshallah, this Sunday. And then from there, look out for the next announcement. We'll be having another Sunday class starting in January, ta'ala, after our um, you know, winter hiatus. Um, with that, Sheikhna, um, do, do you want to start with something? Do you want to get right into it? Um, how, how would you like to start? All right, inshallah. <coughs> uh, so, so this one is an excellent question, and I think it's very relevant um, given you know, everything that's been going on. There's been heightened awareness about uh, Islam. What is Islam? What is going on? A lot of people all over different ages are, are asking these questions. And Dr. Muhammad Abbas, he was just talking about how I think there was 50 or so conversions every day in France alone uh, happening. Um, alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. So here uh, we have a job to do. So um, a sister is asking, um, or, or someone is asking, my daughter is 15 years old, and her friends at school like to ask about Islam, and some are interested in it. What does she tell them, and what advice should she give them? Zakallah khair. A very good question. Um, I think that um, after everything we've experienced as a community, as, as an ummah, uh, we really need to get past the uh, barriers of fear. Uh, we should not be afraid of our identity anymore. We shouldn't be afraid about speaking out. We should train our kids to overcome these barriers too. Um, uh, you know, I had, uh, you know, two sisters come uh, to my office today after Jummah actually uh, to, um, I guess, get some advice because there's one of the schools, it's a public school in our area uh, without mentioning which one, uh, which has a dominant Muslim population Yet, the people that go to that school are too afraid to say anything about Palestine or do anything for Palestine, um, which is really, really uh, unfortunate. You know, we need to, it now is high time where we don't hold back on our Muslim identity and about what's happening to Muslims around the world. I need to be courageous. That's the least amount of courage I could possibly have. When our brothers and sisters in Palestine are courageous as they look in the face of death, and are dealing with it with enduring patience, the least I could do is have the courage to speak out. That's, you know, it doesn't take much to speak to it. You know, to live it as they're living it is a whole nother, uh, it's, it's another level of sacrifice. And I can understand why someone would be too afraid or too daunted by that reality of living that. But for us as Muslims, no, this is a, this is a point of my identity. And people are willing to listen if I'm willing to share. 
Um, I, I, I need to uh, have that proactive nature to me. You know, maybe perhaps one or two or three people or a person here or there may, some, may say something that will, um, uh, you know, disturb me or bother me. But that was the journey of the Prophet. Prophet his whole journey was about bringing, um, you know, radical change to the society in Mecca. He needed to be a person who was willing to face off with the people in terms of speaking out against their false beliefs and their ideologies. I cannot allow myself to remain in a silo and isolate. No, no, no. Let me just try it. Pull myself out in the position. When, you know, we're not saying it doing it in a belligerent way or a disrespectful way. But in order for me to be someone who could speak, I should be someone who knows. So these two go hand in hand. How can we begin to be able to speak for our Islam? Well, hey, you know what? Maybe this is a chance for me to actually dig deep and understand my Islam on a personal level so that I can talk about it in a meaningful way with other people. Maybe that's step one. Let me learn a few things so I can know what to share, right? And you know, you don't need to be a scholar to be able to share things. Uh, just learn along the way. You know, you'd be surprised how receptive people can be just to getting exposed to some of the beautiful and finer aspects of Islam. You know, um, so, you know, my suggestion is in order for you to get the courage, one thing you need is a little bit of information. Not a lot. You don't need to wait until you become alim, allama, or No, just gain a little bit of knowledge and then try it. On a smaller scale and build yourself up. Try it on a smaller scale, build it, you build yourself up. Maybe perhaps, you know, uh, practice among your friends. If you have friends with you at school, say, hey, look, you know, I want to have, I want to have bigger concerns. This is one of the things I actually mentioned in the khutbah today. You know, one of the worst things that could possibly happen in the next 10 days, hey, uh, all our kids, everyone who goes to school, pay attention to this. One of the worst things that could happen in the next 10 days is for my brain to be fried by video games if I like playing video games, or by Netflix if I love watching Netflix, if someone makes the, you know, high, has well, someone with high himma and wants, you know, achieve high goals, I'm going to watch a season a day of some nonsense show, uh, a season a day, six hours a day, I'm going to sit straight, watch everything, watch, 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 watch. My brain by New Year is going to be fried. What? Why? How could I possibly do that? After the people, uh, what's happening in Palestine is teaching us, hey, you know what? Elevate yourself. One of the things I said in the khutbah today is a life that is all about you is a life with little value. The more that my life is about me, myself, and I, it has no meaning. You know, it's useless. And you know what? Because it has little value, I'm not going to feel good after watching those hours and hours and hours of TV or those hours, playing those hours of video games. Don't do it. We need to teach our children this. Teach our children to give back, sacrifice, you know. Uh, go out and do something with your life. Let's, let's be in the service of others. Let's do something meaningful, right? So, the, you know, getting back to the question here is it starts small, it grows big. 
yeah, I'm not telling you to go speak in front of a crowd of a thousand people when you have never tried to speak about it with one person. But hey, you know what? If you put the intention, let me practice a little bit. Let me learn a few things here and there. Let me start with the basics. And you know what? Anything I don't know, I'm going to take this person back to the masjid or I'm going to send them a video or I'm going to connect them with someone more learned than me. And, and wahakada. But the whole idea is, this is a great question. I need to break out of my shell. Don't be afraid of your Islam anymore. Don't do that. Those days of, well, I need to hide where I pray and, uh, and what I believe in as a Muslim. I need to, you know, some people, you know, they may be too afraid. But when Philistines brought up, I'm too afraid. What am I going to say? I don't want to say anything, right? I don't want to say anything. I'm nervous. What are people going to think about me, right? So I don't want to share my opinions. It makes me nervous and uncomfortable. It's okay. Get a little bit uncomfortable. You'll feel comfortable with it after that, inshallah. Allah alam. Um, and, you know, definitely we see that all the time. There's small steps and just people, people around you, just one conversation can change the way they, they view everything. SubhanAllah. Um, alhamdulillah, even at the young ages, we're, we're seeing that. <coughs> Next question here. Uh, what happens to a father who marries a non-Muslim and has kids, uh, but they don't fall towards Islam? Um, is the father going to face consequences for this? Look, you know, consequences, rewards, all these things are from ilm al-ghayb. I cannot tell you who's going to be punished and who's going to be rewarded. Is it a bad decision to get married to someone who does not have the same values and beliefs as you? I would say yes. I would say, I say this all the time. Getting married to, getting married to some Muslims is a very bad decision. Let alone some people who don't even believe in uh, the same belief says you they're not even muslim even getting married to some muslims could cause you a lot of difficulty if they don't if they're not people who care about pleasing allah they don't they're not really caring about jannah or about becoming better people or about following the sunnah or reading quran or making dua all of this creates kinds of difficulties and obstacles in the way of the person and their personal life if the person closest to them is not also a believing person so I would say to this type of situation that people should carefully think before they decide to get married to someone who's not Muslim. Um, and, and again, there's a reason why the Qur'an refers to your, your spouse as a sahibi bil jamb. You know, there's the rights of your neighbors and then there's the closest neighbor of all to you and that's the spouse. The, you know, the husband for the wife and the wife for the husband. You know, so be very careful about who you put in that most intimate and closest inner circle. So, uh, you know, if, if the person who is asking this question is the son or the daughter or is a, a friend or a family member, I would say, hey, look, don't focus on the reward and punishment. If it's after the fact and the person's married and they already have kids, the best that they could do is make the best of the situation. Sometimes it works out for the best. Someone gets married to someone who isn't Muslim and with time, this person be, has more esteemed and better character than people who are born into Islam. It happens sometimes. Uh, it's a high-risk marriage. It's a high-risk marriage. But sometimes it happens. And someone's blessed like that, where maybe she'll eventually come to Islam or at least help in raising the kids according to Islam. Sometimes it happens the opposite. I know stories like this. They're very sad stories where the brother finds himself isolated and lonely because his wife sticks to her religion, and her, his children end up following her in her religion. There's stories like this. They're, they're devastating. And then sometimes it's the 
opposite. You'd be surprised. You'd be very, very surprised. Sometimes we have situations in our community where sisters will get married to non-Muslim men as well. And they will find themselves in a situation where the husband was able to win over her kids. So she, she, she did not succeed. La dunya wa la akhira. She lost her kids and she got married in a way that is completely unacceptable Islamically. You want to ask a question? Go ahead. From him? Okay, so the question was, well, what if they get divorced and his kids are not Muslim and everything is going to go to them? Actually, that's not the case. In Islam, and this is a, this, we need to do a whole lot of educating. There's a subject of inheritance in Mirath. There's inheritance law in Islam for a reason. It's a very detailed system, by the way. And many Muslims today still pass away without any knowledge of the system of Mirath and inheritance in Islam. And uh, we still have cases. You'd be surprised that the cases of people denying their daughters or people denying some of their children, absolute bizarre. It's jahili practice. Over 1,500 years ago, we still have Muslims today pass away and mana'ul banat min al-mirath. What is this? A'udhu billah from this jahiliyyah that's found its way to people's heart 1,500 years later. You know. So anyway, this situation is still there. But in this situation, sister, with the difference of deen, they don't inherit actually. If he's someone who wants to please Allah, the inheritance should be according to uh, the inheritance law in Islam. And if they're not Muslim, they would not inherit him. Just so you know. But he should keep a good relationship with them. Maybe perhaps Allah will guide his children. This is their right upon him. He needs to make sure to maintain ties and connections with them. Be loving, be compassionate. Until the very last day of his life. Maybe perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open the hearts of his kids to Islam one day. Allah alam. Next question is, uh, what, what do you have to say to a parent who won't let their child marry because they're too young? Uh, is it not a sunnah to marry young? Can you address this? Or can you address such parents? It's hard to, in, to generalize in these types of situations because each situation is case by case. You can't say that marriage um, uh, or not allowing marriage at a young age is always wrong. And you can't say... Allowing marriage at a young age is always wrong. It depends. People are of different levels of maturity. And people, sometimes people reach their 30s and they're still little kids. They're still playing video games hours on end. They don't have a job. They're useless. And they can never be a husband. They're 30 years old, but they're like they're 15. There is that, there is that subset in the Muslim community. So age isn't the end-all be-all. But here's the thing. Marriage is, um, uh, is a, um, uh, a critical enterprise. It has deep, far-reaching effects. It's not an easy thing. And the problem is now today, marriage is taken as an easy thing. Married today, divorced tomorrow. Ketbiktab once, twice, thrice, and four times over. This is what's happening in the Muslim community. It, marriage is being taken very lightly as a joke. Just as easily as I went in, as easily I will go out. Right? 
And this is symbolic of the, uh, the, the condition of the character of people today. So it's not particularly about age, but I won't blame a parent who's worried that their young son or daughter may not be mature enough or prepared enough for marriage. I'm not going to blame a parent who has this concern. The parent might be right, might be wrong, might be strict, might be lenient. It depends. You need to have a di discussion, a conversation. I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you very straightforwardly uh, that if someone, if, if, a, if a young guy comes asking me, should I get married or not, and 20 years old, please, one uh, guy's at the door. I could hear your voice. Please. Zakumullah khair. Um, uh, it, it comes to me at 20 years old, doesn't have a job, still in college, and is probably going to be in college for the next five years of his life and fully dependent on his father. I'm going to tell him, Habibi, what are you talking about? Get married. What are you, you're, you're not established. Your mind's consumed with your studies. And you, you, don't, you have no financial independence. And that's critical when it comes to marriage. You can't have this conversation about marriage if you're not ready for it, right? So I would not necessarily blame a parent who uh, wants his son or his daughter to put the brakes on marriage until they're ready. Because if someone gets married and they're not ready for it, there's a good chance that it might end up in divorce. But of course, look, you know, parents need to also be understanding because there's a lot of fitna in society today. And you don't want to be too strict and end up causing your son or daughter to resort to haram. So it needs a delicate balance. When are they mature enough? But also, I want to make sure my son doesn't end up making bad decisions or my daughter make, doesn't make bad decisions. So, and Allah may Allah help us. Because, because of the fitna of today and the lack of deen, sometimes people might end up falling into really, really bad situations uh, because of not getting married. So it's, it's this way and that way. Allah alam. Uh, let him, uh, if, if anyone has direct follow-up, they can ask, but I'm going to give priority to people who haven't asked questions yet. Okay. We'll come back to you later once people ask questions. Go ahead. I'm going to take a break from the marriage questions. There are many. Um, Ramadan is three months away. How less than three months. Ramadan is less than three months away. How can we start preparing for it from now? And there are other questions, you know, talking about my faith feels a little bit slow or I feel like I'm decreased level, how do I reconnect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how do I reconnect with Islam look, uh, uh, you know, uh, this always happens, look there's inna likulli amalin shirra wa inna likulli shirratin fatra faman kanat fatratuhu ila sunnati faqad aflah the Prophet tells us this. It's an authentic hadith. For every action, there's a peak of performance. And then there's a period of laxity. So make sure that your period of weakness doesn't go in the red zone, doesn't go too low, doesn't go into the muharramat or into the kaba'ir, la samahallah. Needs to be within the sunnah of the Prophet So look, you're going to get periods of weakness. Ramadan is coming up. It'll be a chance for us to revive. It all goes back to the basics, you know, tawbah, istighfar, dua, consistency. Consistency is a big thing. Make it, you know, if you really want to revive your heart, try to do it every single day. I'm going to set time for dua every single day, right before I go to sleep. Or I'm going to do istighfar at, at certain parts in my day. Or I'm going to do adhkar sabah and adhkar masat. Or I'm going to do some other activity. I'm going to come to the masjid. I'm going to do something consistently. And that's how I could begin to break out of my lulls and my periods of weakness. Um, you know, one of the things you could start doing for Ramadan 
Start making the dua. Allahumma balighna Ramadan. Oh Allah, bless us to witness Ramadan. Oh Allah, bless us to do goodness in Ramadan. That's part of the process. Start, you need to start reminding yourself. Figure out ways. Look, if it's not front and center in your brain, guess what? It's not going to be a big priority. So this is what it's about. What, you know, what are your ihtimamat? One of the questions I asked in the khutbah today was, um, or it wasn't a question, it was a statement. And one of the things I said was, um, tell me your sacrifices and it will expose who you are as a person. What are your sacrifices? Are my sacrifices about me, myself, and I? Am I living a life that's... Or you know what? Me, myself, and my family? Is that my whole life? You know, uh, and again, this is... It's not enough. Yeah, it's beautiful for a mother, father to sacrifice everything for their children and their family and make sure that they have everything they need. This is a virtuous thing. It's an ibadah. But it's not enough. If da'irat ihtimamati wa if the circle of my priorities and the circle of my sacrifices is all centered upon my masalih, my interests, then guess what? I'm leading a very selfish life. I need to expand this. It needs to expand it. Do one of the best things you could possibly do to humble your heart, humble your soul, is khidmah. It was, the, it was the action and function of the Prophet ﷺ. Khidmah, service. Figure out something you could do for somebody who will give you nothing in return. And just do it for the sake of Allah. And see how that makes your heart feel. It will soften your heart. It will soften your heart. Allah Alam. Um, anything specific to add in terms of rekindling the relationship with the, with the deen? Or do you feel like that covered that as well? Th these are general things, but they're very specific. Consistency. Dua, reminding yourself daily about Ramadan, um, serving others, doing something with your life and your time other than your personal private things, right? These are all critical things. They're a critical part of the process of actually feeling uh, the relationship with Allah kindle. Why? Because, again, it's going to expand my horizons. You know, uh, you know, when's the last time I got exposed to helping someone who is in utter need? you know, someone's very tough situation medically or in terms of their um, living and their lifestyle. When's the last time I got a chance to actually see that with my eyes? This, you know, w one of the things, you know, why do you think that there's this hadith Qudsi? Uh, of course, um, uh, this, this hadith Qudsi is not meant to uh, be understood literally. It's an authentic hadith. But it tells us to go visit the sick. And if we visit the sick, we'll find Allah by them, Right? But, but is this meant literal? Of course not. But what is Allah telling us? That, that when I am in the presence of Ashab al-Qulub al-Munkasira, and when I'm in the presence of people who they have broken hearts because of their lives, guess what? It yuratib al-Qalb. It actually softens my heart because life for them is at a different pace. When you're going to visit someone who has a terminal illness, you know, I shared this story before. You know, I don't know if the brother will hear this, but I won't mention his name or his identity. We were sitting with the converts and reverts in our Sunday class. And um, one of the brothers who was with us, we're having a conversation about uh, Kalimat Tawheed and Surat Al-Ikhlas and about the basics of Islam. 
And this brother just casually, sh- and we were speaking about how temporary this life is and, you know, what, what, my, what should be my priority. And ultimately, we'll go back to Allah Azza wa Jal after a short time in this dunya. And then he shares with us, he's in his 30s, he just shares with us very casually, I'm, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a doctor and uh, Allah saved me through Islam. And he was been Muslim for one year. And he said, um, and I've been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I am waiting to return to my Lord, Allah. The best place, the, the best place I would ever want to be is in the presence of Allah. And he's talking in this way. I was like, Allahu Akbar. The, the iman that he must be experiencing. He's just been Muslim for a year. The iman that he must be experiencing is something that Muslims can only dream of. Sometimes for their whole life. But that's his reality. His, his life, he's counting down his days. I need that. I need to hear that. It's going to soften my heart. It's not about this fight or that fight or he said or he, she said. That's why one of the things I said in the khutbah today is there are people in mansions in the most posh areas of America right now who wished and dreamed of having the patience, the tawakkul, the, the hope and the comfort of heart, ease of heart that the people of Gaza have. There are people who dream of that type of reality and outlook towards life and they're sitting in their posh living rooms. Every, their house is worth millions. Their cars are worth tens of thousands of dollars. Yet their hearts are bankrupt. This is not to speak about wealthy people, but just to give this reality. It's not about the money. Sometimes wealthy people will be righteous people. That's good. But it's not about the money. It's about the heart and the soul. So this is what I should focus on. I need to get those heart softeners. That's what it goes back to. There's a question about, um, about qada. What are some things that are written by Allah that cannot change? And what are the things that can change? For example, death, illness, spouse, spousal relations, etc. We have this concept in Qadr and divine decree. It's called a firm decree and conditional decree. Qadr Mubram and Qadr Mu'allaq. And there's a hadith that speak to this. La yirudul Qadr illa dua Or la yirudul Qadr illa dua There's variations of the hadith. Nothing turns away. Decree except dua And there's another hadith that says, وَإِنَّ الْعَبْدَ لَيُحْرَمُ الرِّزْقَ بِالذَّنْبِ يُصِيبُ The person's denied his rizq because of a sin he commits. Um, and then, مَنْ مَنْ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يُبْسَطَ لَهُ فِي رِزْقِهِ وَيُنْسَأَ لَهُ فِي أَثَرِهِ فَالْيَصِرْ رَحِيمَةِ Prophet ﷺ said, if you want to leave a good trace behind you and um, uh, find good rizq and good sustenance, then fortify ties of kin. Some of them scholars, they said, uh, that this is meant literally. That, that he will literally experience a lengthening of his life. Imam Abdul Qayyim mentions this in his Jawab al-Kafi. Um, he, say, he, he mentions that the person, this, some scholars said this is literal, meaning the person was written to live 50 years, إِلَّا إِذَا وَصَلَ رَحِمَةً If he was to fortify ties of kin, Allah will give him extended life till he's 55 uh, or, or 60 or whatever. This is part of the conditional decree. So, what is inconditional and what is not inconditional? How am I supposed to know that? But we have examples. It applies to life and it could apply to rizq in general, um, as sustenance. But we don't know the particulars of qadr, right? The Prophet ﷺ came to the companions and they were discussing details of qadr. And what did he tell them? This is, this is something that's not for you. 
right? You know bits and pieces here and there. But when it comes to the detail of how Allah's decree works, I don't know that. Leave it for Allah. And just focus on what you have at your hands. Allahu Alam. Barakallahu Sheikh Shaykhna. There's a few questions on zakah. Uh, one is, do you have to pay zakah on the value of horses? And another one is, would you pay zakah on the gold of your wife? Okay, so the value of what? Of horses. I guess you own a horse or ten horses. It's part of your portfolio. <laughs> Does anyone here own horses? <laughs> Not yet. Okay, uh, maybe someone owns horses in the ballad or something. I don't know. But in Muhim, so look, when it comes to zakah, it's a big subject. We need to make, inshallah, a one day intensive on zakah. Uh, but basically, what we give zakah on is al mal al nami, or al mal al qabil al nama. The wealth that has the capacity to increase. And when we're talking about this, we're talking about either naqdain, um, uh, we're talking about money, uh, zakah on money. In the past, they didn't have dollars, they didn't have euros, they had gold and silver as a medium of exchange, right? The coins, gold coins, silver coins, that's what they had in the past, right? So that's what they mean by zakat al-naqdain. But under this, we have this discussion about zakat al-huli. Do we have to give zakah on gold if it's for personal ownership? Now, of course, a jeweler, someone who has, owns a shop, is, is he going to have to pay zakah on that? Of course, zakat urud al-tijara. This is zakah on merchandise. And because people who engage in business, their wealth brings wealth, right? So I have this money for the business, these products, this merchandise. It's going to bring me more money, right? So that's, that's, that has its own zakah calculation. Um, just as my money has its own zakat calculation, when it comes to zakat al-huli, if a woman owns gold, um, uh, uh, first off, you know, uh, you know, it said ala huli is zawja. So the zawja, the wife, pays her own zakat if she has zakat, right? If she has, unless the husband wants to pay on his own accord, it's up to him. But her calculation of zakat is separate from his. That's what I'm trying to say. So. Maybe if she, has, if she has less than nisab, say if she has gold that only amounts to $2,000 or $3,000 or $4,000, is she going to have to pay zakah on that? The answer, no. It hasn't reached nisab. It hasn't, what is nisab? It is 85 grams of pure gold, which amounts to approximately $5,000 and some change. That's the minimum threshold for zakah that needs to be maintained for a year. Now, what about zakat al-huli al-mubah? That's for own personal property. I'm not talking about money now. I'm not talking about money. The majority of scholars, they say uh, that women do not have to pay zakat on jewelry. This is the Shafi'i school, the Maliki school, and the Hanbali school. And we have Sheikh uh, Sheikh Ismail uh, here, who's Hanafi, uh, who will tell us that the Hanafi school has zakah on uh, jewelry. Of course, there's details. But the Hanafi school is the only school that has zakah on jewelry. Right? The other schools, they say there is no zakah on jewelry. Uh, if it's for personal use. Now, of course, what if it's not for personal use? What do we mean for personal use? Yani, she just has it in her... Um, what do they call those? Uh, what do they call that thing? The woman put gold in? The... the tre uh, huh? 
the chest, the jewelry chest, there you go. They're just as a jewelry chest of gold. And occasionally, if there's a wedding, if there's a celebration, she'll wear it. That, there's no zakat on it. But what if it's not for that? All right, I want to save money. And a good way to save money is to buy pure gold jewelry. So I'm going to buy it and I'm going to keep it with me. And one day I'm going to sell it. I'm, 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 I have the intention to sell it. When the gold goes up, I'm going to sell it. This now, this is like tijari. This is like now it's going to get, to get the zakat on merchandise. Uh, if I buy with the intention of selling. But say if my intention now, I'm buying it to use it. And maybe one day I'll sell it. Maybe one day. Maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll sell it. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll pass it on to my grandkids or something like that. Um, then I'm not going to pay zakat until I actively have the intention to sell it. If I have the intention to sell it, then I'm going to give zakat on it as soon as I own it. Uh, about horses for personal ownership, just as you won't pay zakat on a car, and I own a car, I, I don't own a, a car. And I own a car that's a BMW. I don't own a BMW. All right? But say if I own a really expensive car, all right, am I going to pay zakat on the car? Inshallah, it's meet elf dollar. It's $100,000. It doesn't matter. Do I pay zakat on the car? It's for me to use. This is not mal nami, right? It's not, it's, not ma, it's not wealth that is qabil nama either. It's, it's not wealth that could increase. Why? Because every mile I put on this car, it's going to depreciate in value, right? I'm using it for my own personal consumption, right? I'm using it for me to have fun with, right? Or for me to get to work with, or whatever it is. So that's not going to have zakah on it. Just to, so enjoy riding your horses in the side streets of Clifton, um, or wherever else you have your horses, uh, whoever asked the question. But you're not going to have to pay, unless you, uh, you're, a, you're a businessman who deals in horses, right? You buy and sell horses, maybe we'll have a different conversation. Otherwise, don't pay zakah on them. And then there was one more about like 401k. Is that just the current value of your 401k? You pay zakat on that? There's a, there's a detailed calculation for 401ks. Detailed, what's the detailed calculation for it? 401k is money that I put in a retirement account. When I retire, I'm going to be able to enjoy um, the money that comes from this 401k. Um, and sometimes my company will contribute to it. And uh, is it okay to do it? You know, obviously, if you're someone who's getting it through your job, you have limited options about where they invest. Is investing in the stock market okay? Yeah, but with conditions. We as Muslims, we can't invest in just anything. There's, there's conditions. Which company can you invest in? It needs to be a socially responsible investment. It can't be like in alcohol, or it can't be in the entertainment industry, or it can't be in something haram, right? Um, uh, that's basically what it is. So now the 401k is supposed to not be touched. That's what it's supposed to... That, that's, that's how it's assessed. Now, how am I going to calculate... If I pay zakat on it or not. There's three opinions. One opinion, pay zakat on it now, but what are you going to deduct from it? You're going to deduct taxes and penalties if you were to take it out right now. So say if it has $20,000 in it, and if I wanted to get it today, and you could, oh, you could find this out, what are the penalties, what are the taxes, if I take it out before a certain age, before I get to the age of retirement, how much am I going to pay? This 20000 will become 15000 Okay, pay Zakat on 15000 Because the 5000 that you're going to have to pay in penalties and taxes don't belong to you, Aslan. Alright, that's, that's the safest opinion to follow. Pay it now, include it with the rest of your money, but deduct the penalty and taxes. The, there's another opinion that says, Wait until you actually get it. 
and then pay zakah on all previous years. And this just seems too complicated for me. Yani, Allahu a'lam, if I'm going to live until I'm 65 to get the 401k, and then I'm going to give zakah on it for 30 years prior, yani, why would I do that? Uh, you know, it's, and if I don't live till I'm 65, maybe my kids won't think to pay zakah on it. Maybe they won't know. All right? So I don't like this opinion. There's another opinion. Uh, I, I don't like this opinion even more. This opinion says, wait until you actually get it and only give zakah on one year prior uh, to it, and that's it. Why don't I like this opinion? Because it's a good way to uh, discount the fuqara from the money that they deserve. Yani, I'm going to amass this big wealth. Some people, their 401ks are hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yani, he's going to get away with not paying, or she is going to get away with not paying zakah for their whole life on these hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they're only going to have to pay one year of zakah when they get it. That's not fair for the fuqara. So I don't like this third opinion. But it's an opinion that's out there. Yeah. And then, uh, wh wh what's the name of the book where for Joe Bradford um, breaks this down? Uh, what's it called? Zakah Made Easy? Uh, uh, I forgot what it was called exactly. Um, there's this nice book. We'll include the link for it in the Friday Forum group. Uh, it's written by Sheikh Joe Bradford. He specializes in Islamic <coughs> finance. And um, uh, you can find these ahkam simplified in his book on zakah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you the link, inshallah. And then how, do, how does debt play into this? So someone is asking if I have a savings account, but I have credit card debt. Do I pay in the, the savings? First off, please don't have a savings account. It's, it has riba, oh, okay. and you shouldn't have that. If you want something, have a checking account, a second checking account. And if you don't want to be tempted to spend the money, rip up the debit card or something like that. Al-Muhim, use a checking card, a checking account instead of a savings account. Because savings account has riba in it. And you don't have the reason to have a savings account. There's no musawwag shar'i to, you know, what are they going to tell you to do? Some shaykh, if you go to them, tell them I have a savings account. They're going to tell you, get rid of nisbat riba from it. And this is how you purify it. Why do you think you have to get rid of that amount? Because that's mal haram. And getting mal haram is haram. So why would you open a savings account? Why would you open a savings account? So that's the first part of this question. What's the rest of it? Well, if I have a savings account, um, let's say it had 10000 but I have credit card debt as well. Um, do I still have to pay the zakah on the, on the savings? You're going to deduct the, due, uh, the, 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 the amount of debt that's due currently. That's it. That's it. Now, I have credit card debt um, for $50,000, right? Um, am I going to say, I don't have to pay zakah because I have $50,000 in credit card debt? I'm not choosing to pay that. I'm, I'm actively spending on my wants and my desires. I shouldn't do this. This is haram, of course, to leave credit card debt unpaid willingly. No, you, should, you need to get rid of that as soon as you can. You should not live in debt. You should get rid of it as soon as you can because you don't want to be engaging in riba. So what I tell this type of person is actually pay the money to paying off your credit cards now and then you won't have to pay zakat on it. But if it's $10,000 just sitting there and I have, inshallah, $100,000 in credit card debt and I'm not planning to pay, pay, planning to pay it off, I'm not going to deduct it. The only thing I deduct is debt that is due now and will be paid now. That's it. So someone comes and tells me, well, I have a mortgage and my mortgage has $300,000 left on it. Uh, so, of course, I don't have to pay zakah, right? Ya Allah. Really? Anjad? Yani? You're going to have this free, free check from zakah 
for the rest of my life. Why? Because I have a mortgage. Yet I'm going to Hawaii and I'm going for Umrah and I'm going for Hajj and I'm متمتع بكل أنواع المتاع في الحياة. And I don't have to pay for fuqara because I have debt. تبلك. That's what I say. أو هداني الله وإياك. Let's say that instead. If I can't read Arabic, what should I do when it comes to reading or needing to read the Quran? If I what? If I, I don't know how to read Arabic, how can I read the Quran? Or, or what should I do so I can read the Quran? Well, learn Arabic. That would be a good idea. It would help you. Until you learn Arabic, read the translation. But of course, reading the translation is never like reading the original Arabic. One of the most virtuous and rewarding things you could spend time doing is uh, learning the language of the Qur'an. This is something you should not take lightly. And guess what? You can do it. No one here has the excuse that they can't do it. You know why I could say that? Because I have a friend who studied with me when I was in, or we studied together at Al-Azhar um, when I was in Egypt. This friend, he came to Egypt as a new Muslim. He was a new Muslim. He's a revert, convert. He did not know a word of Arabic. Within nine months, he had this intensive program studying Arabic every single day. Within nine months, he wasn't just reading Quran. He was reading books of Adab and Nusus and Shi'r and Mash'arifah. He was reading Arabic. Doesn't know a word of Arabic. He was a revert, right? So no one has this excuse, I can't learn. You know, no. You either have the choice that you want to do it and you're going to make the time for it or you just don't want to make the time for it. Everyone has the capacity to do it. There's so much opportunity out there if you wanted to do it. Allahu alam. So learn Arabic. It's a very virtuous thing. And uh, if you can't, then, or, or if you don't have the capacity or the time to do it, then read the translation and try your best. There's so many commentaries out there about um, the different surahs of the Quran. Right? That's what I'd say to that. Allahu alam. You could ask direct, que- direct questions if you want to. Does anyone have a Uh, what's the purpose of getting these uh, it's c- like certificates? It's, it's like a, it's a bond. It's a bond Bonds markets are not halal. Uh, the, there's a big problem with the bonds market. Why? It's because it's based on uh, debt. Guaranteed. It's based on debt. huh? It's a guarantee. Yeah. And you cannot profit off of debts. The whole idea of riba is profiting off of debt. Mm-hmm. So bonds market, no good. There is this attempt. It's not available in America. But there, there's this attempt to find a halal alternative to the bonds market through suquq. Suquq, this, uh, in, this uh, investment concept in Islamic finance, it's called suquq uh, tijariya. This is different. Um, and there's a lot of details about it, but it's not available in America. So overseas, you'll find in some Muslim countries, they have this opportunity to invest through suquq. Uh, but this is, um, this is not halal. Uh, you know, to to in to invest in the bonds market is not halal. Allah alam. Fadl.
كيف نقنع غير المسلمين؟ Okay, so the question he has is, how can we possibly convince non-Muslims about um, the supporting or the being in support of the Gaza and Palestine when we have some people who are leaders of the community and shuyukh and um, they have this, uh, the, the, you know, he's, he's saying that they're hypocrites in that they don't support uh, the Palestinian cause or the people of Gaza. Look, you know, the munafiqeen have always been present. You know, even fi zaman Nabi Sallam, there was this, you know, movement of nifaq. And look, uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Fa'amma zabadu fa'ida fa'a." I would not really worry about uh, the um, uh, the amal uh, and the actions of individual Muslims. If it was up to their amal, we would find that no one would come to Islam. What we see the condition of the community sometimes is very unhealthy. Uh, is sometimes we're bad neighbors. Sometimes, um, uh, you know, we may engage in... Th there's people who see a side of some Muslims who are very far away from the practice. May Allah forgive us. You know, that might cheat, might lie, might steal, might do this, might do that. And all of this should turn them away from Huda. But it doesn't. Fa, you know... As Allah says, Allah will allow His nur and His light to continue to spread to people and to the hearts of people. Even if some Muslims are not in support of that. You'll find that there are some non-Muslims who are more supportive of Gaza and Palestine than Muslims themselves. This is present. This is present. Fa, you know, subhanallah, you know, this is the reality. Everyone's going to do whatever they're going to do. And at the end of the day, when Allah ta'ala, On that day, Allah will resurrect everybody. What did you do? What did you say? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you support the mazlumin and the oppressed? And everyone will be a called account to what they did for their amal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts the truth in the hearts of people. They will be guided. If Allah knows goodness in their hearts, they will hear goodness. And they will hear the guidance. Wallahu alam. Allah khair, Allah barik Do you have any questions for the sisters? There's a question. Yes. Um, what's the reason why they missed it? It depends. So if it's a woman on her cycle or pregnancy or um, uh, nursing and breastfeeding, these reasons, they have, the days have to be made up. The days have to be made up. What are the reasons where money would be sufficient? We're giving a fidya, what we call a fidya, is be like a monetary expiation for missing the day. That's only for ashab al-amrad al-muzmina wa al-shaykh al-harim. The people who are elderly or people who have chronic illnesses that disbar or discount them from being able to fast. Those individuals, instead of fasting, they will give the money. You got it? But if she missed it, because of a legitimate excuse like pregnancy, we tell the sister, preserve your days, and then when you're able to fast, start making them up. Okay? Allah
The, someone else had a question? Is there a question? Okay. Uh, go ahead. You could go back to those. Okay. <clears throat> uh, if my father abandoned me as a child, do I owe him anything after I've grown up? <clears throat> There's another question of um, some, some troubles that my father left when I was 10 years old, never had asked about us or tried to get in touch. He passed away a couple of years ago, and now I can't forgive him. So maybe there's an overlapping question here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if your parents don't do anything good for you, your father abandoned you. That's a very, I'm sorry to hear that you had to deal with that. May Allah help you. May Allah give you something better. But realize this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن جَاهَدَاكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُشْرِكَ بِمَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٌ فَلَا تُطِحُمَا وَصَاحِبْهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, even if they get to the point where they're not only just abandoning you, they're actually pressuring you and fighting against you. أُكْفُرْ بِاللَّهِ Right? Disbelieve. Don't be a Muslim. Even if they're doing that, the Quran comes and says what? Don't obey them, but be a good companion. He has, your parents will always have a right on you, whether they're good with you or not. This is, goes without. This is, this is a right upon you. Now, how can you give this right? Don't be that person who's uh, engaging transactionally. Huh? This is, subhanAllah, they say that um, by nature, sometimes it's not like this, but by nature, parents are inclined to give selfless love, right? What? I'm going to put everything in my kids. I'm going to give them whatever they want. I'm going to pay from my hard-earned money and I'm going to sacrifice. And I'm not going to expect much from them back. You know, I, I raised them until they become adults and I've spent so much money on them and made so much sacrifices on them. And what? And what? They may never repay me in the slightest, Right? So this, a lot of the times parents are inclined to selfless love. Sometimes parents could have selfish love too. I'm not saying that's not possible. But the default is parents are inclined to selfless love. Children are inclined to selfish love. What does that mean? If you do for me, I will do for you. If you're good for me, I will good, be good with you. Don't be like that. No, with parents, what? Whether my father is a criminal, a mujrim, or he is a muhsin. doesn't matter. I need to do what I need to do. Whether he's going to give me something back or not. Being transactional is an awful thing to be. I'm only going to be good with those who are good with me. Don't wait for people to do good things for you to be a good person. No, that's not a way to live. So this is, this is what I would say to this question. Do what you need to do. And you know what? Bil-ma'roof. It doesn't mean give up your life. It doesn't mean give up your life. And you know what? Allow your parents to oppress you to the fullest. And this is when the selfish love comes. Sometimes some kids, they have a really difficult time getting married. Why? Because when it comes to them getting married, it's like their father's the one or their mother's the one getting married, not them. Right? Because the, 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 the one who needs to be happy with their marriage more than they themselves is their parents. Sometimes this is very problematic. Sometimes we have problems with this where someone may go through a lot of difficulty. Parents, when their children are ready for adulthood, need to be ready to let go. Right? I can't keep clinging on to... And a lot of times, sometimes marriages dissolve because of this. Right? The mother wants to keep this chokehold on her son... And it comes at the expense of him living independent with his wife. So what happens? Talaq. That's it. 
so much family fights back and forth. He said, she said, he did all this and what? Khalas, we can't do it anymore. No, 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 no. When my, parent, my children are adults, khalas, I need to let them go. Khalas, I've done my job. Now you live on your own. This is, it's your role. Allah alam. You wanted to ask a follow-up? Go ahead. They're inclined to have selfless love. Look, uh, you should never hold things over people that I did for you and I did that for you. But we need to remember sometimes, you know, here, look, I tell this to people as you're conversing. There are certain people in your life you need to try to learn not to speak to their mind but to speak to their hearts. What does that mean? I, usually when I see problems happen between parents and uh, kids and their parents, <coughs> it's usually when... The children speak to them in a manner, you know, بالحجة, right? I'm just speaking totally cognitively with my mind, right? Uh, if I'm right, I'm right. If you're wrong, you're wrong, right? But no, 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 no. With the parents, it's not about this. It's about fadl. It's about ihsan. All right, you know, خلاص, I know my mother, my father, they're being unreasonable. They're being wrong, but it's okay. أنا, أنا I'm, gonna, I'm not going to engage طيب حاضر, uh, I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to let it go. Usually, the discussion goes this way when I'm tit for tat, right? My mother stands in my face, I'm going to stand in her face back. She says a word to me, I'm going to say two, two, two words back. And we're going to get into this shouting match and I'm not, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to humble myself. Why? Because I, see, I don't see her as my mother, right? I see her as my friend. You do this, I'm going to do this back to you. That's, I know it's not fun, especially if you have a parent that is not fair, uh, but tell, I'm telling you, when you speak to their hearts, it's the best way to lower their guard. And what, what does that mean? Someone who, look, the Prophet says, bear with me. I know this is not fun to hear, by the way, as, especially as a kid, and if you have problems with your parents, it's not fun to hear this, but pay, pay attention to this. The Prophet says, that a pleasant word is a charity. Think about this. Why is it a charity? Charity from who to who? Like, you would think that it's a charity from me to someone else, right? But in actuality, it's both. When I say a pleasant word, it actually it helps me calm down too, right? It helps the situation calm down. Sometimes, wallahi, it's, a, it's so easy yet so difficult. You know, just being able to say a pleasant word could sometimes go far in resolving many conflicts, right? It's getting tense. My mother's pulling this way. I want to pull that way. I'm just going to say, طيب حاضر ماما. أنا آسف ماما. سامحيني ماما. That's it. I'm going to humble. I'm going to be the. I'm going to be the more humble party. But ah, uh, I'm going to fight back and butt heads this way, butt heads that way. Guess what? The whole world's going to burn down, right? The whole world's going to burn down with this attitude. So they may not be fair, but when you're dealing with your parents, don't look at who them as a person. Look at you're dealing with Allah Azza wa Jal. Deal with them as though you're dealing with Allah. Mu'amalat Allah. I'm going to be good because Allah told me to be good in these situations. Wallahu alam. Take this, I'm telling you, it will help you with a lot of situations. Learn how to say sweet words because if you make it all about right and wrong, you're going to face a lot of pain and difficulty with your parents, right? Wallahu alam.
Barakalafik. Um, I mean, one comment. There's there's a lot of questions related to marriage. Um, so I mean, maybe we pick pick that up in a specific conversation. Maybe we do another meeting point related to marriage. Um, <coughs> but there is one that that I think would be beneficial um, as as like a as an overall. Before that, actually, I want to uh, ask an interesting one. It's about museums. So uh, what, what's your opinion on museums, such as an Egyptian museum with statues of kings, et cetera, as a Muslim, can we enter such places? Um, I guess the question is because of statues. Um, can, we, uh, can we enter museums? Can we enter a museum? Look, um, يعني, there's a difference between uh, a museum uh, that has like historical information or and you going to a site or a location of a people who Allah punished, مثلاً. like if you go to visit um, uh, Diyar Qom Ad or something, you're going to the ruined, or if you're going to where the it's said that Qom Lut were destroyed, uh, or if you know um, if you're going to Buhayrat Qarun where they say Qarun was destroyed, If you go to these places, these are not places that sites that you should go to have fun. You should go to have ibra and idha. So even those places, the Prophet Sallallahu what does he tell us? Go, um, uh, you know, uh, if you were to pass diyar al-maghdub alayhim, those who Allah's anger was unleashed upon, what should you do? You should cry. And if you can't cry, you should try to force yourself to cry. Meaning what? You should go for idha and ibra. This is about visiting those particular sites of ruined nations. But a museum is something that is for historical information. You're not the one who built the museum. Like, am I going to tell you to build a mummy or build a mash'arif, uh, all these things? You're not the one who built it. But if you're going to go learn something so that you can get idha and ibra and become a better person, a more knowledgeable person, there's no problem. Go visit the museum and learn things from it. خلاص, you know, leave it at that. But, you know, don't enter it because there's statues. No, you're not going for this. You're not going for a party. You're going for al-idha wal-ibra wa ta'allum. And you're learning. Uh, you're seeing with your eyes. Right? So even, even with the visiting the ruined nations, the Prophet ﷺ allowed going into those locations where they were actually punished. But for the case of idha and ibra, not for fun. So, I mean, I'll ask you, Sheikh, would you rather us do one long one? Just, just, just pick the questions that have the highest votes. Whatever has okay. the highest votes, we'll go, go with the top. highest votes. <clears throat> can a Sunni marry a Shia, both male and female? You know, can and should. This is where we have a difference of opinion. Uh, you know, actually, like we said, the question of marriage is a should question. It's not a can question. Because if you're asking can, you're asking about halal and haram. Should, meaning, I'm going to ask the sisters in the back, uh, the sisters who are talking in the back over there. I hear your voice. It's very loud. Please, someone next to them, if you could tell them, please. Jazakumullah khair. Barakallah fikum. Right. So, should is the question that's right for marriage. Don't ask can questions. Can, it's not going to help you. You want to put yourself in that? There are things you can do when it comes to marriage, but you'll be putting yourself in jaheem. You'll be putting yourself in... Uh, uh, you know, a bottomless pit. You need to be very careful, right? So it's it should be should. 
you know, why, should I marry a Shia? Well, the question goes back, are Shia Muslim or not? Well, it depends. Not all Shia are the same. Some Shia are extreme in their tashayyur. They have beliefs about Sayyidina Ali or be, beliefs about the 12 imamers having isma or mash'arifah. These are extreme forms of tashayyur. And some of them may be to the point where they're outside of the folds of Islam. So the real question is, is this person, does this person have beliefs that make them not Muslim? Like say for example, Ahmadiyya. You guys have heard of Ahmadiyya? How many of you have heard of Ahmadiyya or Qadiyaniyya? You guys have heard of them? Someone who is Ahmadi or Qadiyani in our belief is not Muslim. Why? Because they believe in a prophet after Muhammad. What's his name? Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. So if someone comes to me and says, well, I want to get married to someone who is Ahmadi, I'm going to tell them you can't because they're not Muslim. They're not Muslim. So it depends. If it's you're asking me can, it goes back to that. But should, whew, that's a bigger question. You know, how would you even, why would you even put yourself in that type of situation? A lot of times people, they get married for the very wrong reasons and they find themselves in a very regretful situation later on in their life. Uh, why is pleasing oneself uh, masturbation haram? Is it still haram when an individual is married? Um, is it, why is it haram? Because it's a form of pleasure that's not allowable. That's why it's haram. Uh, the, by us, um, that type of pleasure can only be experienced in a halal way through, uh, through marriage. It's haram because the Prophet ﷺ said so. And there's a hadith that says, This is a form of haram intimacy with oneself. It's not allowable. And usually this aberration, it's, it's mukhalif lil-fitra. It's not the way that we're meant to experience this part of our lives. If you experience it this way, it usually leads to other distortions of fitrah. You graduate from this fi'il to pornography. And then you graduate from that to actually doing haram things in person with you. And then you graduate from that to further distortions of fitrah one after the other. That's why it's haram. And then what was the other part of the question? So masturbation is absolutely haram. And what about during marriage? I guess is that allowed during marriage? If it's a form of intimacy with one's spouse, then we know from the sunnah that there's nothing that's haram between one spouse and the other except uh, you know, having intimacy from the location that's haram to have location. One location, that's it. Besides that, everything else is halal. Yeah. Uh, my life isn't the way I expect it to be right now, and it makes me feel down. What are some du'as I can make to get out of that rut? What are some du'as that you can make? Well, look, you know, first off, dig down deep, figure out what's the stressors. Always, I always advise for this type of question, think about what's the stressors? Why do you feel deep down and depressed? Is it because of certain realities in your life? Well, maybe you need counseling and you need advice from somebody on how to deal with those realities. Is it because of certain relationships in your life? Or is it maybe because of sometimes people deep, feel deep, and de deep down and depressed because they don't have a connection with Allah? Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to get back to praying. Maybe you need to build a relationship with good people. Maybe you're you feel so isolated because you don't have any good voices around you. Maybe I should start attending a halaqa in the masjid and it'll expose me to, to, to good people, you know. Um, maybe that's what I need. Maybe I need some time with the Quran. So what are the stressors? This is what I would say. Usually what ends up needing to happen uh, is you need to have a conversation with someone 
who could give you insight, guidance, someone who could give you mentorship, uh, someone who you respect or um, someone who has some Islamic knowledge or an imam or whatever it is. All those people could possibly do this for you. So have the conversation with someone who can help you through your emotions, figuring out what's, why am I feeling like this and then what are the solutions. So it needs to be a custom-tailored solution. You need to figure out why you're depressed because why you're depressed may not be the reason why someone else is depressed. So figure out the cause and the stressor and you'll find that the solution is much more practical. How long should the talking period be? And how long should the engagement be? Um, what is it? I guess they're, they're wondering about timeline from... You know, getting to know someone. They, 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 there's a talking stage and there's an engagement stage. How long should, do you recommend these stages be? How long should they be? Yeah. Um, well, it shouldn't, look, basically, I, there's no, like, number date that I can give you. But it shouldn't be too long. Because what, it's an area of shubha. But during the talking period, you're strangers to each other. You don't want attachments to build. Because if attachments build, it's going to lead to a lot of problems for you. You know, a lot of times people make bad decisions. They'll go have, a, you know, you know, the craziest thing that will happen is people will allow themselves to talk with each other without even knowing if their parents are okay with them getting married. And they'll go talking for months on end. And then uh, it'll happen with the guy or with the girl. They'll go ask their parents, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And the parents completely shut it down. And then guess what happens? Depression, sadness... I'm attached, why would you do this? Why would you allow something to drag out without figuring out if it's even a possibility, right? So, so this is, you know, when it comes to the talking period, it needs to be left as short as possible, just enough to figure out if there's ballpark compatibility with the other person. That's what it needs to be. Shouldn't be more than that. Allah Alam. There's one question, I guess, for people interested in deen and, and people, you know, interested in converting or reverting. Uh, if one wants to continue to learn more about Islam, but they come from a family where their parents are not Muslim, uh, how should they tell them? Um, the tell their parents if they're interested in converting to the deen? Yeah, or, or learning more about the deen, leaning towards Islam. Uh, for themselves, not for their parents, for right? For themselves, yes. Yeah, so look, you know, a lot of people, it depends, you know, it depends on who your parents are. Are your parents very understanding people, very supportive people? If the answer to this question is yes, then go ahead, tell your parents that you want to become a Muslim right away. But if the answer is you don't know what the reaction is going to be and it might put you in a very difficult situation, it might create a lot of stress, a lot of m new Muslims uh, choose to keep it hidden from their families for a period of time. Um, I, I want to ease into it. Right? I'll tell them after a few months or something. If you choose that for yourself, no harm, no problem. It depends on your situation. So assess your situation, and you can't go wrong this way or that way. Uh, even if you end up telling your parents and they give you pushback, but you just might have to deal with more difficulty, especially for new Muslims who still live with their parents. Uh, who still live with their parents. I know people who are in this situation where they'll be nervous of praying at home because they don't want to get discovered by their parents. Subhanallah, people in their tests, they don't want to get discovered by their parents that they're Muslim, so they end up hiding it, right? Um, uh, and they won't even pray at home just to conceal it from their parents. 
So look, I can understand, especially if you still financially depend on them. And they might create hell for you if they know that you're Muslim. So if you think you need to do that until you're independent, then do it. Otherwise, if there's no need, then they'll overcome it. Eventually, they'll get over it. Maybe they'll give you a little pushback and, uh, and they'll get over it after that. So you really just need, and if you need advice in this regard, whoever asked the question, just reach out and then give you an, uh, I'll give you my feedback, my uh, assessment, and you could go with that, inshallah. And then the, the follow-up to that, are, are there any books, courses, um, online resources that you would recommend for someone you know, interested in Yeah, we have in our masjid the New Muslims group, by the way. Uh, if you guys aren't in the WhatsApp, uh, ICPC WhatsApp community, there's many different WhatsApp groups in the community. Um, you could join the WhatsApp community. Like I think there's some QR codes over there. You could become part of the ICPC WhatsApp community. Uh, and there's different groups. There's a group for new Muslims. There's a group for the Sira course, the Fiqh course. Uh, there's general announcements that come out there. You could become part of it. And you could get everything that's there. So if you were to join the group, you'll find that there's actually dozens of new Muslims or considering Muslims just like you. You'll be able to connect with them. We have a, a monthly social for new Muslims. Monthly social event um, for them to come together, build relationships with each other. We also have a weekly class, a basics of Islam class. That's what we have in the masjid. We're going over in a book. It's called Being Muslim. Um, and then we also, there's a lot of other online sources uh, that you could tap into. Uh, you can find out more about it through the group if you were to join it. Allah Alam. How are we on time? The, if there's one last pressing question, we could take it. Otherwise, we can end. Someone have a more important question? Khalas, we'll finish with you. What's your question? Uh, explain, explain what happens with that. Um, interesting question. So they would translate it in the woman and she would have the egg cells that the deceased woman had. Is that what you're saying? The, the, so the egg cells are from the woman herself? Okay. Um, and it's implanted into her body? Okay. And it's from her husband, the sperm cells? Uh, it would not have the same issues as surrogacy if that's the situation. The issue with surrogacy is if you cannot, like, can we as Muslims, uh, you know, مثلاً, like say if the woman can't uh, have a child, can we take sperm cells from the guy and implant it into a third party and let her carry the baby and then uh, and deliver it for us? Can we do this? No, this is not allowed. Um, uh, but uh, if it's for the woman, her egg cells, but she's just having an organ transplanted into her or, you know, part of the body transplanted into her just says you would get someone else's heart or someone else's liver or someone else's kada. Uh, these, the, these liver transplants or heart transplants, same idea. It becomes part of my body because I'm not taking an egg cell or a sperm cell from a third party or putting it into a third party. That's what happens with surrogacy. 
And that's why it's problematic. So I can't see why it would be problematic. But maybe perhaps we could look into further research about it. Uh, He said, how can we preserve and protect the youth from being um, dissuaded away from guidance uh, because of all of the different things that are influencing the false ideologies and the things that people watch and Hollywood and the entertainment industry and everything that's being put out there. Wallahi, it's a difficult thing. It's not an easy thing. But the best thing that we would tell people to do is, hey, build good relationships get a good support system around you, have a connection with the masjid. These things protect. In the Muslim world, um, uh, especially in a healthy Muslim society, uh, now of course the situation is deteriorating even over there. But when things were healthier in the Muslim world, you would not be as afraid of someone going to ilhad and atheism because the society is Muslim. And it promotes virtue. And, it, and even if there's corruption, there's still a baseline. But now, of course, we have a different story. We have Mojat al-Ilhad. And it's coming right out of Egypt and other countries. And even Saudi Arabia. We have this you know, spread of atheism. And it's, 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 it's catastrophic. But once upon a time, that was the reality. Where if someone came here, they would literally get completely lost in society. And they would go far, far away from Islam. Uh, but now, alhamdulillah, there's so many masajid, there's so many uh, Islamic institutions, there's so many Muslims. Look, in just in New Jersey by itself, we have 200,000 Muslims. We have dozens and dozens of masajid. Um, this is just in New Jersey. There's so much khair and so much goodness you could plug yourself into. You know, the, the, the wolf... Uh, seeks out the stray sheep, right? So what do you need to do? Be around good people. Be around good voices. Have a good support system around you. It'll protect from a lot of the misguidance that people end up falling into. As Ibrahim mentioned, no Friday forum next week or the week after. No Friday forum next week or the week after. Two week break. I'll see you guys after that, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.